people have opinions without being fully informed. Trust me, I'm a Canadian here. I don't care if you're a Christian, Messianic, or Hebrew roots. I want to know if your theology is biblical. Maybe I'm right. Of course I'm right. If you're going to cite a source, be responsible. You know, cite your source. You're welcome, college. Hey, we're just having a conversation. There's only 36 people listening anyway, right? You can Google it. Wow, at what point does history matter? At what point does truth matter? An alien invasion. Is it biblical? Of course it is. Look, there's a way to do scholarship and a way not to do scholarship. you got to cite your source. Who's your source? My best friend's sister's boyfriend's brother's girlfriend heard from this guy who knows his kid is going with the girlfriend. And that about sums it up. What up and shalom. Welcome to the Rob and Caleb Show. The show where theology matters, scholarship counts, and theology matters. My name is Caleb Hegg and with me, of course, Rob Van Hoff. What up, Rob? How's it going, brother? What up? Going well. Drinking water out of my Yeshua Yeshua shirt mug. Yeah, very good. I got my uh, Torah Resource mug. By the way, these are going to be available on Torah Resource on the new site. What? Maybe about two weeks after we get the new site going. So uh, I would encourage everybody, once we get the new site up and running, to go ahead and get over there. Hang on just a second. Let me move my mic. Uh, Actually, let me – I have the ability now to mute myself. Hang on. There we go. Much better. Okay, so uh, yeah, we'll we'll have all sorts of stuff. In fact, I think what one of the things that we're going to try to do is get uh, some get some uh, some T-shirts up there and all sorts of stuff. So yeah, it should be good. Okay, uh, what up and shalom to everybody out there in Radio Land and out there in uh, YouTube Land. Uh, very good to see people already starting to enter the chat room. You know, I we have this countdown in the very beginning of our YouTube video, and it says the show will start in. I, I, I've given it 100 seconds, but it looks like we need more than that, eh? Am I wrong? I don't know. I, I don't have the chat room open to... Yes. Good job, Rob. Distractions. Good job, Rob. We're, it's we're a multi-purpose st- uh, uh, type of discipline here uh, on the one hand i'm not distracted on the other hand my computer has less bandwidth to or whatever it frees up bandwidth i guess so it's a win-win it is a win-win tell Except me uh, it's a win-win lose because i miss out on the good discussions in the in the chat room yeah it's okay i think it's better that you know pe- people want to hear you talk uh and speaking of hearing you talk tell me what's going on How, how's your week been going well Going wow, on. super interesting. I don't, yeah. <laughs> so what's going on? Yeah, like what? What's going on? Well, uh, just meeting interesting people and having really good conversations. Uh, people who are wrestling with issues pertaining to their walk in uh, various. You know, some people are uh, kind of in a church situation and wanting to grow in knowledge of Torah and are not always encouraged. You know, sometimes it's, it's sad, but you know, sometimes people get labeled and excluded and, and, and all they're doing is asking questions and that's, sure. that's tough. Um, so yeah, we've had some good emails. We've had some good calls this week. You know, we've been hunkering down trying to get this site. So we're, we're hoping to launch sometime this weekend, uh, if possible. And uh, 
I think it's going to be good all around. So that's, I mean, that's been the majority of what we've been doing uh, here in the office is trying to get this, this, uh, this site done. And so, which has been very good. It, it's, uh, there's a, a lot to it, but uh, that's pretty much been my, my life for the past, uh, you know, couple, couple weeks. Uh, and, and I'm happy. Actually, a, another good thing that's going on right now, my father, Tim Hegg, uh, many of our listeners know who Tim Hegg is. He, uh, many people probably don't realize that my dad works six days a week, usually 14 hours a day, sometimes uh, 16 hours a day. And then on Saturdays, uh, of course, you would think that it would be a nice relaxing day for him, but he goes and he teaches at shul all day long, literally two different sessions, one in the morning, one at night, or one in the afternoon. Um, and so his whole day is, is quite full. And so he's the kind of guy where you're like, Hey, you should go on vacation. He's like, Oh, I'm going on vacation. And you're like, great. You leave him for two weeks. He's like, we're leaving for three days. It's like, no, you need a real, you know, you need a real break. Well, my mom convinced him to go for, uh, to, to take a week, a week long vacation. So hopefully it'll be, uh, it'll be enough. He definitely needs to reset and recharge, get his mind off of uh, everything that's going on. So that's that's the other good thing that's going on. Okay. Well, folks, we've come to show 179. And Ooh. yeah, woohoo. And uh, if you'd like to talk to us about, uh, I don't know, whatever, anything, call our comment line, 253-465-3205. The Robin Caleb Show is brought to you by TorahResource.com. And you can go to Torah Resource and find all sorts of great stuff. And hopefully by the beginning of next week, you'll be able to go find even more great stuff. Be even easier to find stuff. That's the goal. And uh, show 179 is also brought to you by Chava Messianic Radio. Go to www.messianicradio.com and have a Messianic music experience. It's quite a, uh, a great site to listen to, uh, to Messianic music. And we should give a shout out to, uh, Judah who runs that, who runs that site. If I'm not mistaken, I believe he had a child yesterday or the day before. Uh, so I think it was, yes, I think it was, yeah, yeah. I think it was yesterday. I've, I found out through Twitter. And, uh, so congratulations to Judah. What a blessing. Congrats. Looks yeah. like, uh, mom and baby were doing good. We enjoy seeing the pictures of that kind of stuff. Uh, but yeah, so if you haven't gone over to uh, MessianicRadio.com, you should. Uh, we actually have worked with uh, Judah trying to uh, understand how he got a lot of his music and all this kind of stuff. So he's he's helped uh, Torah Resource Radio as well. Um, but both radio stations kind of have two different drives to them. Uh, Torah Resource Radio is more about lectures and teachings and, and uh, series and stuff like that, whereas Chava Messianic Radio is about music. And so you can get whatever you want, whatever flavor you want. Okay. We've had a very good week when it comes to um, uh, emails. And correct me if I'm wrong in the chat room, but it looks to me like I'm really dark on my screen. Anyway, maybe we'll... Maybe we'll adjust on the fly. Um, so we've had a, a good week for emails and uh, this is, uh, good and bad. I think, uh, we'll start. Well, should we open up the mailbag? I suppose we probably should. eh? what do you think? Sure. Yeah, we can do that. Well, let's open up the Robin Caleb show mailbag. Mail okay. So, um, 
we got some really good emails. And let's start with Corey. Corey writes in and says, my question this time is, and uh, Corey's the one who wrote last week, uh, we discussed his question about Acts, uh, the end of Acts 18 into the beginning of Acts 19 and the Holy Spirit. And he, he sparked that whole conversation, which was, by the way, quite a, uh, a lively discussion on YouTube. So, um, yeah, well, let's listen to what Corey has to say. He says, my question this time is, in Acts 15.24, some manuscripts say, and he's quoting now, for as much as we have heard that certain, which uh, I think it's, uh, well, here, let's, let me actually switch to my version here, because I have it already pulled up. Yes, I know I need to update. Okay, so um, we have... These are in your show notes, by the way, and if you don't get our show notes, you should go to TorahResource.com and then hover over the radio tab, go down to the Robin Caleb show, and there's a sign-up form on that page. You put your information in, and you get uh, our show notes each each week. Um, so now there's there's two versions that I pulled up here. I have an ESV, and then I have a King James Version. So we'll read the King James Version first because I think that th- this is what he's uh, reading from. For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have uh, troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying ye must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. Okay, so that's that's the uh, the translation that we have here, and he says that was King King James. That was King James. He says, "Is this talking about the proselyte ritual?" Thanks. Now. There's kind of a parallel verse to this in Acts 15.1, right? Uh, there was a certain group of the uns- of the circumcised who came down and they were saying, unless you are, I'm, I think I'm paraphrasing, unless you are circumcised according to the law of Moses. Unless you were circumcised, you are not able to be saved. saved. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's almost, a, it's almost like a reiteration here in Acts 15.24. Interestingly, we don't have the same thing in other versions. So the ESV says, Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you. And then, of course, the ESV does have a note. Some manuscripts, some persons from us have troubled you. With words, unsettling your minds, although we, have, we gave them no instructions. So uh, his question ultimately is, uh, uh, is this talking about the proselyte ritual? So the first thing that we need to obviously realize is that there's something going on here in the manuscripts. Uh, The KJV has something much longer, but it looks like the earlier manuscripts don't have the longer bit, right? That's exactly right. All right. Talk talk about it. Talk about it, teacher. uh, So... so (laughs) Caleb read for us from the King James and um, this uh, extra line here says, ye must be circumcised and keep the law or saying that. So it says comma saying ye must be circumcised and keep the law. Okay. That is a scribal addition. If you're looking at the NASB or even the NIV or the net Bible or the ESV, you're not going to see that. Uh, that word in there. And so um, that's one of these things. We get to some of these passages and we need to wonder, okay, am I looking at the King James? You know, I'm, if, if, if I'm a King James only, then I'm basically saying all the decisions pertaining to um, what manuscript to use, um, 
you know, when it comes to ancient uh, manuscripts that have variants in them. All those decisions were made in in King James Day. And God breathed in 1611. Yeah, it's 1611, and I don't have to think about those kinds of things because God ordained uh, that. He gave it at Sinai, uh, right? <laughs> yeah, so if you're, if you're coming from that perspective, then, you know, I, I mean, I... I can't really argue you out of that. There's people much more equipped than I dealing with that front line of the, you know, dealing with people who want to assert King James, uh, KJV only, and the problems that that they're confronted with in order to sustain that. Sure. Um, but on the other hand, we do have, you know, uh, since then, much more uh, broad and, and uh, detailed knowledge about the text transmission of mm. the New Testament, yeah. right? Basically, that's what we're talking about here. And we have we get to a point, let's say, you know, let's say there's people that never heard the King James, but they read Greek and they come into a room and they see all these texts that we have and they can be a believer in the gospel and they're going to read them. They're like, wait a minute, okay, this this manuscript doesn't have this, this manuscript doesn't have this. And then all of a sudden I get to this later manuscript and I say, okay, there's this extra little word here. You have to, they have to think, okay, did someone add it or did these others take it out? Right. If, if that belongs there, then we have to, we have to explain why did we have all these ancient manuscripts that just read as, you know, without a blip, without that in there. So we have those kinds of problems. And, and one solution is, well, it's easiest the easiest solution is that someone at some point added it to, to make a clarification um, according to their interpretation, right? Okay, they're, but hey, they're hey. putting an interpretation, and then it's that text that gets codified in the King James translation. Uh, that's a more reasonable explanation than all of a sudden, you know, we have a bunch of, we have a distribution of ancient texts that all agreed to eliminate it without any comment. Caleb, go ahead. What were you going to say? Well, I was just going to say that it seems like we have the same, almost the same phrasing in the in the first part, uh, right? Acts 15, 1, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, obviously, the, the part about keeping the law is not in there. Um, right, right. So, you know, and the, I mean, I'll, I'll read, well, no. Okay, so we have essentially the same thing. Now, Rob's written papers on this, right? You've written a paper on, on uh, well, on several things. First of all, uh, where does it call them the, the circumcision? The, uh, in this, I'm not sure if it's in this in. Yeah, you might be right. Anyway, so the, po this passage. The, the point is, is that uh, it seems to me that this, once again, has to do with... Um, with with rich, ritual conversion into a sect, it seems to me that way, and the reason why is because this is reiterated, right? Is it in uh, Acts twenty one? You can tell I'm not prepared for this. I well, apologize. the point is that the guy, the guys, at, the question <clears throat> the person asked was a good question. It says, "Is this Acts fifteen twenty four talking about a proselyte ritual?" That's the question. the The first thing we need to address, though, is that the passage that he, or the version that he cited from is not, in fact, the best version or translation for this particular passage. 
And the reason why is because there's uh, a manuscript history that um, throws a monkey wrench into the, the scripture he's quoting in terms of how it's being presented in the King James. So, one, but now, so we did need to talk about that. But, but we could still ask, let's say we look at the NASB then or the, the net, and it just says they have confused you or they have, they have troubled your soul, uh, unsettled your souls with their words. Okay, so what, do we, what does it, that mean? Well, it means that the people who had received and believed the gospel and were excited about it, right, and they were orienting their lives, changing their whole lives to worship uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and believed they were included, were being told by, quote, authority, Jewish authorities, that somehow uh, they, they were not, in fact, included. Mm-hmm. And, that, and then uh, secondarily, we say, well, there were different groups that says, well, you have to be part of our group if you're going to be part of true Israel, or you got to be part of our group. Certainly, there was no monolithic uh, kind of Jewish, like the Catholic Church, you know, where there was a Pope and sure. all the pre... It wasn't like that, because if it was a Qumran-oriented group, they'd say, you need to become one of our thing, and you need to abandon the temple, and you need to become of our part of our worship. If it was a Pharisaic group, it would have been something different. <clears throat> so the idea is, it's not... We don't know the flavor uh, of, of the sectarianism, but it does seem to be... Uh, there were people that, well, and we know, we know that there were Judeans. Paul writes at the end of Romans that he wants to bring the, the fullness of the blessing of Messiah to the Gentiles, and that he's praying, he says, I need help, I want to take this offering back to Jerusalem, and praying that it's accepted by the saints. But there's people in Judea who are against this. They don't want, they don't want Gentiles told they're saved. It's in one of the Thessalonians letters he writes, too, is that there's, there's uh, ingrained Jewish groups that are not monolithic in their power. They're not in power over everything, but they have some sort of localized power, and they're antagonistic and, and acting against and persecuting, the, uh, just like Paul was, and, sure. you know, Saul of Tarsus was. And they didn't like, A, they didn't like Jews believing in Jesus, right? They didn't like Gentiles being able to hang out with Jews who believed in, in Yeshua. So um, it's uh, all these things are at play. So I, I, the reason I want to frame it a little with a little more nuance like that is to say that just to think proselyte ritual, it has some truth to it, but we need to, we, we can't just let it sit at that basic level because that next thing you know, we're looking at rabbinic literature to say, well, sure. what is the proselyte ritual? And then next thing you know, we're imposing Babylonian Talmud into the first century to try to explain Acts 15. And then why not Noahide laws then, right? I mean, and then all of a sudden, the, you know, and so what I want to do is protect what's happening here, what Luke tells us happens here in, in Acts 15, from the the bombarding of anachronism that happens so much out there in, in books and in teaching. Well, let's put, let's put this to rest. I mean, we know that they're not teaching against circumcision, right? For, for numerous reasons. Number one, Circumcision. One of the things that I've been a stickler about in the past couple of weeks is the idea that, <coughs> pardon me, the idea that the uh, that circumcision is is part of the Mosaic covenant. Now we we do see Moses write about circumcision, right? Obviously, but the point is is that circumcision was the sign of the Abrahamic covenant. 
The Abrahamic Covenant, I, I don't know a Christian around today who's going to tell you that the Abrahamic Covenant is not still being fulfilled, right? That all the nations of the earth will be blessed through the seed, you know, through Abraham's seed. So, right. so circumcision, the idea that, that uh, Paul is saying here that we, shouldn't, we don't need to circumcise, I don't buy that at all, obviously. And just a sec. Let me, well, and we know that uh, John 7, 22. Yeshua says, for this reason, Moses gave you circumcision. And then he says, not because it's for Moses, but of the fathers. Yeah. So even in the Gospels itself, we know that the that the, the apostles were thinking, they're associating circumcision with the Abrahamic covenant. Exactly. Same thing in Romans 4. Paul says, Abraham received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the faith that he had received while being uncircumcised. That That's anchored in Yeshua's first disciples that they associate Abraham, faith, and circumcision as to be understood together. And the problem, why do they have to push that so hard, is because you have different groups saying, no, you don't even belong until you become circumcised. Yeah. And Paul's whole argument is, no, that's you're not reading the Torah right. The Torah yeah. teaches that faith comes. Yeah. Abraham believed and it was reckoned him to his righteousness, and he was physically uncircumcised. And on the flip side, you have people who are physically circumcised in the Torah that are not living according to faith. Yeah, and exactly. so the issue then becomes of, okay, what does circumcision of the heart means? And that gets, you know, the whole book of Deuteronomy gets into that. Jeremiah gets into that and, and so on. And we know, we know all that. Okay. So anyway, uh, and the other reference that I was looking at was uh, Acts 21-25, where the, uh, uh, the four rules given to the Gentiles in Acts 15 are reemphasized here. But oh, we... and there too we have a uh, we have another that's another place where the scribes added. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. Um, this is fun. If you read if you read uh, read King James of, okay, so Acts twenty one twenty five. Okay, hang on just a sec. Let me right, uh, I have I'm it. Just, I can read I, it. I got it right here. Okay. okay. As touching the Gentiles which believe we have written and concluded that they observe no such thing, save only that they keep themselves from things offered to idols and from blood and from strangled and from fornication. Okay, so that <laughs> they observe no such, such thing, thing. Yeah, that's added. Added. Yeah. But if you look at Net Bible, NIV, NASB, well, Holman, let's just let's just read it ESV. ESV. But but as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, so on and so forth. Yes. Yeah. The observe that they should observe no such thing. See, this is a this is an anti-Torah scribal commentary that got into at, at a certain maybe by what fifth century or something fifth sixth century, and it's it's now scribal com or adding their spin on theology into Acts fifteen and Acts twenty one. And this is this is, goes right along with our theme, which we'll get to here in a few minutes. So anyway, uh, it's a good question, but uh, obviously I think that... Uh, the so here's, a, here's an interesting thing, Caleb, on just a footnote on this. Sure. If I'm a King James only, how could... Is there... Can a King James only person ever be Torah-pursuant believer? They're going to read They're going to read stuff like this, like Acts 21-25, and they're saying, oh, well, it says they shall... Gentiles shall observe no such thing. Okay. that's That seals the deal. Torah is not for Gentiles. Yeah, done and right? done. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's... If... if if someone is King James only, I don't see how they could uh, reconcile the King James text with being a one Torah promise theology type of hermeneutic. I, I don't see how they could do it. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's uh, – yeah, I think, I think you're absolutely right. 
Read your Bible is interpreted by experts. Okay, so let's move on. Janet writes in, and and so this is actually going to be a long, <clears throat> a long little uh, thing here because Janet writes in and she says, "Curious about your thoughts on Numbers 11 when the children of Israel were comp- complaining about not having meat to eat." In verse 16 and 17 NASB, the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men from the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and their officers, and bring them to the tent of meeting and let them take their stand there with you. Then I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take of the spirit who uh, who is upon you and will put him upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you shall not bear it all alone. Uh, end quote from the uh, from the Torah. I've always thought this was a good example to show that the Holy Spirit was given long before Pentecost. So uh, this is a great point by Janet. Now uh, we had an, another comment on our uh, on our YouTube page by Rick R, who ultimately got blocked from our YouTube page because of his interaction. Not because uh, I thought he wasn't making good points in terms of uh, the scriptures he was bringing up. He was certainly a worthy adversary when it came to debate. However, uh, Rick decided that uh, his argument would be better uh, put forward if he used ad hominem. And uh, I don't care. You can disagree with me all you want. But as soon as you start, uh, you know, attacking person instead of attacking theology, I'll pretty much block you from the YouTube page. So this is what Rick said before he got blocked. Holy Spirit, Old Testament versus New Testament, Acts 8 tells us that even though they had received the faith in Yeshua, they never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Have you received the baptism of the Spirit? To argue that the Spirit was in the Old Testament isn't questioned by anyone. I agree. The, the, uh, the Christian church is going to say that the, as a whole, I think the Christian church is going to say that the uh, Spirit was certainly present in the Tanakh, Right. He goes on, but the Holy Spirit never indwelled anyone in the Old Testament. He came upon prophets, kings, and elders, and judges. So I think what Rick is trying to juxtapose here is the idea that the Holy Spirit came upon people as opposed to indwelled people. Joel 2 prophesies a time when the Spirit would be poured out on all flesh. This is, I think, the point that he's actually missing. All flesh is the point. Yes, it is the point. In the Old Testament, the Spirit wasn't poured out on all flesh. Agreed. Well, I, uh, yeah. Secondly, the new covenant is before the Spirit who writes on our hearts his laws and uh, laws and on our minds. That never happened in the Old Testament. I totally disagree. He says, "Please study this." <laughs> okay, thank you, thank you for your admonition. Uh, all throughout the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is the game changer. Look at uh, John three, but John three was before the pouring out of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost right? Romans 7, 6, Romans 8, and Galatians 4 and 5 for the starters. If you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit, then you are a Acts 8 believer. And in John 3, Yeshua teaches Nick that he must be both born of the water and the Spirit to enter the kingdom. You can't enter his kingdom without it. That doesn't mean you aren't saved. (laughs) What? It's only by... Say say that last Yeah, exactly. He says you can't enter his kingdom without it. That doesn't mean you're not you aren't saved. It's only okay, can we pause right there. Is he suggesting that that there's people who are outside the kingdom but they are saved? That's what it sounds like to me. I it's a little I convoluted. Don't I don't understand. He says it's only by the spirit that you can bear fruit and work in the kingdom. So you arrive in heaven naked void of works of righteousness. See Revelation 3. 
Um, I mean, the, the, no, 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 no. I dis I disagree with that. I completely disagree with that. Paul Paul says in Corinthians, where does he say? I'll, let me give me just a second here. Um, just give me give me a second here. Uh, so okay, first, hey, first hey, Corinthians three. Go ahead. He says, uh, now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it. That is judgment day, because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, yet as is through fire. The picture here is that... that you are building. You are building right now. Now, it's true. The person who's going to be naked is the person who tried to build on the foundation with stuff that wouldn't withstand God's fire. Exactly. They, they, they weren't. They, so, I, yeah, I, I don't understand the guy's uh, point. I don't I, don't get us wrong. I, you know, we're not saying Shavuot is was, you know, in Acts chapter two is not an amazing, important, critical uh, and prophesied uh, event yeah, aspect of God's uh, salvation history. No, sure. we're not saying that it's it's nothing and that it's just just another day. Not at all. Um, and we're and we're not saying that people in the quote Old Testament were saved differently than people in the New Testament. We're not saying that either. I think that's what he's saying, though. I think that's what Rick is saying. You, if the Holy Spirit didn't indwell believers of the coming Messiah in the Tanakh then God saved them differently. Hebrews 11, how did they have, how did all these people from Abel on have genuine faith and, and, and uh, obtaining testimony that they were righteous? You can't be righteous before God without faith. You can't be righteous before God and not have sin dealt with. Right? I can't, yeah. I, I can't, because it, God can't look upon that's like an abhorrence to him. Yeah. So Abel or all the way down, none of these people testified in Hebrews 11. Well, someone say, well, Hebrews shouldn't be in the Bible. Okay. Well, we know okay. that there are people out there and they quote Hebrew roots camp of things. If you want to use that, that will suggest that Hebrews doesn't belong in the canon. And we're not, that's, that's, we've had other shows, I think, where we talk about that sort of thing. Um, but it's canonical. It belongs. And, okay, I, uh, I, I want to address something in the chat room. Hang on. So Miguel says, circumcision is not for the Gentiles, correct? Of course it's for the Gentiles. Abraham was a Gentile. The person it was first given to was Abraham. And the sign of, the, uh, the sign of circumcision is that, uh, that all the nations, not just the, the physical descendants of Jacob, all the nations will be blessed by the Messiah Yeshua, right? And what is this? Wh why do we cut away the foreskin? We've talked about this many times. We cut away the foreskin because the Messiah would come through uh, unnatural means. In other words, the, the, uh, if the, 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 the thing that would not be used to uh, bring the Messiah on earth gets cut away, right? And it's a picture to uh, what Isaac being the first to be born and then circumcised on the eighth day, because even Ishmael didn't get that, was that it's a, a mark, a covenant mark that comes 
from beyond the person receiving it. The person receiving the that this new identity did not have anything to do with it. Isaac had nothing to do with it. And in the same way, those who are born of God, we did not have anything to do with that. That's the act of our Father, Heavenly Father on us. And it's encoded in the, the physical circumcision is an encoding of that, of that truth. But what, is hap- what happened in the Second Temple period, particularly late Second Temple period, circumcision became inflated to be a, a, a membership marker, whereas people would pr- uh, prejudge other people and, and exclude people or include people based on what we call works of law, which are not, not commandments in and of themselves, but the institutionalization of and, and minute, uh, what do you call that, micromanagement of, of important commandments to the point where you have fragmentation and sectarianism, and, and then people are afraid of not belonging, so then they get coerced into whether it's circumcision or uh, doing other things according to this group because they're afraid that God's not going to love them if, if they stand their ground. And the apostles are totally against this kind of sectarianism. And their the whole point is to, is to go back, as particularly for the Gentiles, and to recognize that Abraham believed when he was uncircumcised and, and it was reckoned as righteousness. And therefore, anybody trying to tell you that you don't have righteousness until you're circumcised are misrepresenting God's Torah. They're misrepresenting God's Torah, therefore they're misrepresenting salvation history because they're trying to, they're they're collapsing the chronology to try to uh, advance their own agenda or their fear of Gentiles or whatever. And uh, we have good evidence for this all through the Second Temple period. But uh, Paul makes it clear in Romans 4, um, like we just read from, from John 7, that they were saying, look, circumcision, yes, Moses reiterated the commandment, but we can't forget that it's, it goes back to Abraham. And then we can't forget that Genesis 15, and Abraham believed the Lord and credited him as righteousness, is well before the physical circumcision. So it's just a matter of getting the chronology. But that, not- does not mean, that does not mean that the person who believes then all of a sudden has arrived and has no obligation to any of God's commandments. That's that. What kind of heart is that? That would be like, okay, yes, I'll say I do. I'm married, but I get to do whatever I want because I already said I was married. That I'm, you know, there's a whole discipleship and learning about what is, what is this walk that I'm, that this new life that I have, this resurrected Messiah, who's now shares his spirit, right, with me, and it's his life. That's a the, the fundamental call cry of that is the, is Abba Fathers. I want to do your will. Teach me your commandments so I could walk in them. Right? What 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 other will would it be? What other thing would it would the new born believer cry out? But Abba, teach me your paths because I see I was a slave and now I'm free and I want to walk your way. I mean. If, if the, the problem that has crept in with the very large and good Christian tradition in, in many ways, and we'll get into that with the Bible industrial complex, there's a lot of good there. But one of the, the errors that has creeped in is this, it's like the, the setup camp on this Genesis 15 and, and then say that all efforts 
or, or any kind of uh, thing that looks like you're keeping God's commandment must be like you're trying to earn your salvation. You're, you're distorting the gospel. You're becoming apostate. You're Judaizing. And, that, and then so now you have people that are afraid to speak up because they're like, okay, well, I guess that's wrong. So I got to just listen to my pastor and just whatever is acceptable to him, I guess is acceptable. Well, now it's a new kind of legalism. The legalism now is you can't question whether the Torah is valid or not without being accused of being a heretic. And that's a weird situation when you read the whole Bible. You're like, wait a minute. Isn't the he promises the spirit that they're going to desire to walk in my ways or he promises that he's going to write his Torah on our heart. Okay, hang on just a well, second. Wait, wait, wait. You got to stop. Yeah, hang on just a sec. Because, I mean, the nonsense that's going on in the chat room right now is just that, nonsense. I mean, Miguel says, Hosea says his people Israel would become Gentiles, so those are the Gentiles he would call back to covenant. covenant. Were were Hittites ever in covenant? No. So it's like this quasi-two-house theory where all of a sudden people can start uh, changing their, their physical bloodline. No. Uh, people who are physically descended from from uh, Jacob do not all of a sudden no longer have Jacob's bloodline in them. I can't become Chinese just because I go through a ritual. I can't just because become- you identify as yeah, a Chinese I, person. Yeah, ex- exactly. Uh, a man can't identify as a woman and become a woman, and a, and a, and uh, a, a Gentile can't become a Jew, and a Jew can't become a Gentile. It doesn't work like that. He says Abraham obeyed, then became circumcised as proof of the covenant. It's not about bloodline. It's about faith faithful obedience to Torah. Abraham believed God. What did he believe? He believed in Christ. He believed in the coming Messiah to take care of his sin. He believed and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Granted, he obeyed God, but it was the faith that saved him. And and if Torah and obedience saved you, then why in the world would God tell Israel to stop bringing their sacrifices? That their that their uh you know, that their sacrifices were a stench in his nostrils. Isn't that isn't that the right. works? And that, and that's the the idea. We got to look at the word obey, because the greatest commandment is is hero Israel, right? And love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. Unless you have the faith of Abraham, you cannot fulfill the greatest commandment. You can't fulfill you, any you, commandment. Yeah, you can't. You can on the outside, people will say, "Oh, he's look at him. He's like," but that's that problem was in the first century. There were Pharisees that were like, "Wow, you know." I mean, on the outside, they look all great, but inside, Yeshua says they're full of dead men's bones. They don't have regenerate faith. They're not new creations. Wasn't they're uh, not living by faith. So that's the issue. The issue here is is the heart of faith and then the hypocrisy or uh, religion painted on the outside to look a certain way. And, you know, the nature of the deal is, just like Yeshua said, there's there's the sower sows, right? And he goes to sleep and then an enemy comes in and sows different kinds and it, and it, it gets messed up. And they're like, Oh no, what do we do? Well, you got to let them grow together in the same way. I see that as, you know, there's people who are going to be uh, pursuing walking in, in the commandments of God and they're going to look a certain way. They're going to dress a certain way. They're going to keep certain days as holidays, etc. They're going to eat certain things. And then you're going to have people who are, not born again, born from above, that are doing some of the very similar things. And you're going to look at them, you're like, I can't tell which one is which. Well, God knows who are his, right? And and the, the perseverance of the saints is going to win the day. And 
that's all we can say for that. It's not on our us to judge individual people's hearts. We have to trust God with that work. Okay, so we hey, have to go ahead. No, finish up. Right. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm waxing along uh, on that. Anyway. Okay. So, so, uh, Miguel, I, and I want to, I want to give him the reason I, I want to see if I fully understand what he's saying here, because I think I actually agree with him a little bit. <clears throat> um, he says, uh, you need to look at the word salvation too. Okay. Now this is one thing I think Miguel has, has hit the nail on the head. And the reason why is because, and I'll get flack for this, I'm sure. But in the Christian church, in, in uh, Well, I should say, in much of the Christian church, when you say you're saved by faith, okay, what is salvation? Salvation is a multi, multifaceted, right? We have justification as part of salvation, sanctification as part of salvation, right? Repentance is part of salvation. And as we've talked about on this show before, repentance and, and, uh, and sanctification are both ongoing works, right? We continue to be sanctified unto God, and we continue to, to uh, seek repentance throughout our life. So salvation is not, and you know, I, I've, I've hit on this just a very little bit in the past couple of shows, you know, it's not this just once in, a, once in your lifetime, boom, I said this prayer and salvation has happened. Justification happens, and I, I'm not positive, but I think this is what Miguel is, is attempting to uh, convey here, is that obedience is part of salvation. And in that, I would agree. Justification, however, is something that happens once in a lifetime. You are absolutely. Ju- you're justified. Can I share a little bit on that? Yeah, absolutely. In, in our local community here, we've been reading through the Gospel of John every, uh, this year. So every year we read through like a Gospel or Acts or whatever. This year we're in John. So we're reading in John. And this is one of the weeks where we read a bunch about Peter. Well, Yeshua says, I'm going to wash your feet. Peter's already been justified, right? Peter is saved. Okay, now people might say, well, Peter's not saved yet because it's not Acts 2, etc. No, Peter is – no one can pluck Yeshua or uh, pluck Peter out of Yeshua's hand at this time. And if, if you want to debate that, then I, I don't even know if I want to have a conversation. But what does he say? <laughs> right. You're not going to wash my feet. You're not going to wash my feet. And Yeshua says, well, un- unless I wash your feet, you have no part in me. Well, sure. He accepts that. He had his zealous runs, but what does he do? He his he peeks the other way. Boom! I want you to wash all of me. <laughs> and he's like, no, not that either. In other words, you have the steady voice of the Lord, and you have Peter, who's already saved. I mean, he's he, he's justified. Sure. But he's still being calibrated. Later on, he's like, Lord, why can't I go with you now? I'll I'll lay down my life for you. And he's like, Will you really? You're going to deny me. Then in the garden, he pulls out his knife and he cuts off a ear of the high priest's servant. Okay. And Yeshua says, okay, you know, he heals the guy's ear and he says, look, you know, so here we go. You know, we got to love Peter because we, we all have a little bit of Peter in us, right? Where, where we, the, the Lord, we're, we're justified, but he's discipling us. He's training us to hear his voice and to discern his word and then to shut up about trying to run with it. Right and run ahead, or run to to the left, or run to the right. Peter's our example, one of many examples. Um, Jonah's another example from Tanakh, of course. But the idea is someone who's like, okay, you're mine. No one's going to pluck you out of my hand. But that doesn't mean you're mature. That doesn't mean you're fully fruitful. You're going to be pruned, right, etc. Sure. And. Uh, <clears throat> And you're going to grow more and more into the joy of, of the Lord. And, and so that's where we want to be. 
That's where we want to be. The Paul's, you, Paul uses the word justification, dikaiosune, as, as that initial um, act that is of God, that, that is the newborn in James. He talks about the receive the implanted word, right? That, it's, that is God making you a new creation. That's fulfilling the prayer of David, creating me a, a clean heart, right? Leif tahor barali Elohim, right? Yes. Um, and then, and that's, you're just before him. How is that? Because that new life that, that he gives us is, that's the life of Yeshua. That's Yeshua's resurrection life. That's the true, that's the life of the son of God, right? And that's how you call God father. So, now, we, so, go okay, go ahead. Keep going. No, I'm saying that's, but then, and, and so you're saying that person is saved. That person is saved. If they have, if that's a genuine act of God in their heart, then who can, who uh, you know, no one can do anything. It says if God is for us, who can be against us? Uh, yeah. anyway, Caleb, go ahead. Okay. So, so, uh, I just, uh, we need to get to our main topic here and this is a great conversation. We this haven't is, got to that yet. Have no, we, we have, no, we have not. Um, but I just do need to clear, clarify something. Peter says, Caleb, did you just say that two house teaches one may change their bloodline? No, actually, I, I think that, uh, that traditional Judaism, that's a broad term. I'm sorry, but but I would say mains the mainstream Judaisms teach that you can change bloodline, right? Essentially, if you if you do this if you do this ritual, and this is bleeding over into the Hebrew roots and Messianic movement. And, and I I mentioned two house. I said it was kind of a quasi two house um, that that you can become Jewish. I don't actually think that's what Miguel was was. Uh, attempting to say. I think that actually what Miguel was trying to say, and he can correct is it me. That, is it that Israelites became Gentiles, and then those are the Gentiles that God calls back? Yeah, and then, and I was a little confused about that. Maybe what I, th well, I'll give you my view. I'll give you my view instead. Maybe this will, this will clear up where I'm coming from. I think that uh, Jew and Gentile can come and, and uh, be children of God and, and be saved. We'll use that word here, be saved unto God. Um, but it, but I fully believe that anyone who attaches themselves to the Messiah Yeshua becomes part of Israel. That doesn't mean they're Jewish. That doesn't mean they're physical right. descendants of Jacob, but they are part of Israel. Right. It doesn't mean that they were of lost tribes either. Yes, exactly. Right. Because the promise yeah. to Abraham is that all the nations elsewhere, it says, all the families of the earth will be blessed by you. That's, Paul tells plainly, that, plainly that's, a, in a nutshell, that's the seed of the gospel. And how that all unpacks, we know from, from the whole Bible. But, uh, but yeah, we have non—it's essential for God's plan to, to fulfill. It's essential that non-Israelite, right, non-Israelites, non-genealogical children of Abraham— Yeah, come be, to be part of Israel, come right? to be part, and that's yeah. the fullness in Romans 11. He talks about the fullness of Israel Yes, when they're not— it, you know, he says, how much more their fullness? He's contrasting their time in transgression. If in if Israel in her transgression has been riches to the Gentiles, how much more will the fullness of Israel? That's when Israel is fully obedient, um, and and uh, justified by faith, etc., with the fullness of the gospel. How much more glorious will that be for the Gentiles? And that's what God talks about the fullness of the Gentiles. Uh, and then he, that's where he talks about the tree. Um, so I can tell I can tell that we've gone for, uh, you know, 50 minutes <clears throat> because the lights are heating me up and, and I'm melting here. Okay. Let's get to our main topic. Um, so this is, uh, 
this is kind of, it'll be interesting how this kind of plays out in our discussion because we did get an email that I thought was good that might launch us into this. And for those who do receive our show notes, it's interesting. You, you, you might see some interesting links in there that you're wondering why in the world uh, I, I put the links in there. But I have all the links here, and so we'll discuss them here in a few seconds. This is from somebody on our YouTube channel. She says, I need your advice. I'm trying to learn the Bible. Great. She well, says, I'm not a new believer. The problem is... I've been uh, a spoon-fed, born-again Christian. And whenever I asked questions like, why don't we read the Bible in Hebrew, Hebrew, people think I'm being stupid. What advice would you give somebody like myself? I never knew we had a Bible called 1611 until yesterday. Okay, well, first of all, just quickly, the Bible isn't actually called 1611. The 1611 King James Version Bible was the authorized version that was authorized by King James. And uh, it took uh, substantially from the Tyndale translation and a little bit from the, the Wycliffe, Wycliffe translation, but uh, predominantly from the Tyndale translation, they changed. Actually, there's a, a wonderful book that uh, you can read that explains a little bit about this uh, called Book of Fire, uh, the bloody battle for the English Bible. It's about William Tyndale. It's an excellent read, but he goes through some of the, uh, the main differences between the King James Version Bible and the Tyndale translation. Anyway, of course, that was revised several times, and now the the actual translation, uh, the old English translation that you have of the of the KJV is is not the 1611. It's actually uh, been revised several times, and then they took I forget what year it was. It was sometime I believe in the late 1600s. They took that version, and that's what. And, right. Stuck. In other words, the King James has its own text history, print history, including the what's the one that forgets to put the knot thou shalt like oh yeah the the, the adultery, adultery, bible. The adultery adul bible so the, the adultery so bible the adultery bible forgot to put the per, forgot to put not in the 10 commandments when it said you shall not commit adultery so it says you shall commit adultery it's known as the adultery bible and uh and the adultery bible is if you can find one uh i think there's there's only a couple that are that are known to exist today and they're worth they're they're essentially priceless. They're they're uh, worth a lot of money. So the print. Long story short, that's another example of there's a, a complicated print history for the the King James Bible. Not to mention a complicated history as to how they chose what manuscripts to translate. Right. I mean, we're we're protected from that when we go to the store and buy a Bible. We we can naively just think, wow, this is the Word of God. Well, yes and no. Um, there's also, yes, it's the Word of God, but but yes, it's also been, there's been a million different decisions, important decisions that have been made by men, sure, groups yes. of men, individual men, that you that are behind the scenes, right? Um, so wait, hang on. Yeah. Let, let, let's let's first answer. Now, I'm glad we're talking about the 1611 KJV because uh, this is actually where the uh, where the biblical industrial uh, complex really started to form into something that it was. And we can relate this to, and we're not a political show, we don't talk about politics, but we can essentially relate this to the U.S. military as well, and which is why we're taking this uh, this phrase, right? The military, as a model. Yeah, as a model. Kind of like a, the uh, military-industrial complex. Um, and now, I want to get back to the question at some point and talk about how people who are not scholars, good practices to use. Um, and actually, this is what Family Camp is going to be about. Uh, the Torah Resource Institute Family Camp is going to be about this year. And so we will have uh, videos coming out on Torah Resource that will we'll talk specifically about how a person who's just you know, wants to sit at home and, and read their Bible can really study their Bible and, and get, into, uh, get into some of the deeper, deeper aspects of, of study. 
But um, let's talk about the biblical industrial complex for a few seconds. 1611 and uh, the Reformation right around that time was the, was a huge changing point. And really what it was was the the invention of the Gutenberg press, right? The printing press comes into, uh, is invented by Gutenberg, and this revolutionizes not just the biblical front, but it revolutionizes the printing, you know, the publication industry as a whole, right? And so maybe we can think about this before the, uh, you know, I don't know, what was a, a huge turning point, um, you know, the invention of airplanes maybe or something like that. Uh, you know, there, there were these turning points within the military, the, Amer the U U.S. military, that really changed things. And government took hold of the military. And unfortunately, unfortunately, some of the higher ups in military in the mil and not even the military, but higher up in pol in politics, have used the military, the military industrial complex, for things besides trying to defend the, the United States. Right? There's other interests involved. Oil's involved. Money is always involved. Right? There's a lot of money that goes around when we're selling. You know, when the U.S. sells uh, these weapons to this place, and then they, you know, that place uses them against this other place. And then we go in and we try to sort it all out. There's just a lot of money that's going hand over fist and conspiracy theorists or, or not. Uh, we have to admit there that uh, a lot of the politicians are not really taking our soldiers uh, interest into account, their best interest into account. What they're thinking is, okay, how much, you know, what's this going to do politically for us? Or what's this going to do for, you know, there's all these different things that are going on. Within that, within that military industrial complex, what do you have? You have generals and you have, uh, you know, soldiers who are, who love their country, who are going into battle because they are uh, told to do so by their commanding officers. And they're learning how to use the weaponry that is being given to them by the military, right? All these things. So the question that... that then you have the weapons manufacturers. Exactly. Right? Which are not, they're not soldiers, they're not generals. Yes. They're just good at making weapons. Yeah. And and, and so that's their job. So right? their job, they... So, yeah, you have this... So the mili military industrial, meaning it's got industry, the business of weapon making and armor making, etc., on one hand, and then you have the guys who actually wear the armor, yeah, equi are equipped with the shoot the guns, are, yeah. Okay, so now, so now let's look at the biblical industrial complex. It's the same, it's the same thing. You have your pastors, you have your scholars who are doing, you know, relentlessly going out there and working hard to uh, help uh, educate and uh, and lift people up in their spiritual lives, right? And these are like your soldiers and your generals and all these kind of things. Mission yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, volunteers in downtown soup kitchen, you know, all, all this kind of stuff. And then you have the people who are making the weapons, right? And the people who sell the books, who sell the discipleship packages. Yeah. So, so let, let's look at, let's Bibles, look at, let's translations. look at, let's look at a little bit of this. So Zondervan, Zondervan Corporation, who's probably one of the largest uh, suppliers of, of uh, pub, publishers of religious books right now, their annual income is $50,847,459. Okay. So we'll go to uh, Baker, Baker House Publishing. Baker is another large one, founded in 1939. Their annual revenue is even larger, $54,515,317. I, I, can we pause there for a second? Sure. So Zondervan, about $50 million a year. Baker, a little more. We're, 
Caleb, you and I, we're not saying this is a bad thing. I want people to understand. When, when someone is good at doing something and they refine it and they create value for a lot of people and they're not hurting people, right? We're assuming that there's no slave labor involved, right, in the production of sure. a Zondervan NIV Bible or, or whatever. But what we're – so we're not trying to say it's bad that they have that type of revenue, what I'm trying to say in, is the scope of, of what's going on. I'm trying but to show the, the scope. scope. Of, uh, but right. So the question is, though, and, and, you know, I'm sure we could look at Zondervan's corporate mission statement. We could look at Baker House corporate mission statement. And um, and then you'd look at what their offerings are. What are they selling? Christianbook.com, you know, different things like this. Um, but ultimately they are not a denomination. Zondervan is not a denomination. In other words, Zondervan is not going to take responsibility for the discipleship, uh, okay. the front line, how their material is being used. Okay. Hang on. Hang on though. I want, I, we'll Am get, I right? Yes. We'll get to that in just a second. I want to okay. look at just a couple more of these because we also have rogue, we have like rogue companies, right? Like so, Tor Resource. Well, I don't know about that. Um, so we'll just look at two more. Okay. So this is uh, Erdman's. Erdman's is much less. Now, they're on a, a much smaller scale, $8,533,464. And then you have these rogue but, agents. Yes, go ahead. Wait a minute. Look, just real quick. Erdman, now, for example, second year Greek, or in our in Tor Resource Greek class, we use Zondervan uh, products. Bill Mounts' uh, Basics of Biblical Greek his the uh, the workbook it's the blue ones right it's the in his second year we use his reader these are Zondervan for Aramaic we use uh, Miles Van Pelt's uh, we go in two quarters we go through his Aramaic biblical Aramaic book um, Tilling was published on Erdman's on the other hand those were Zondervan but on the other hand we also use Erdman's yeah for like like I've got the for second year Greek we use his fundamentals of New Testament textual criticism so. But the Erdman's is more is you're getting into more scholarly types of things. If you buy an Erdman's book, chances are it's going to be full of footnotes, and it's going to take it, the nature of the book is going to take you through arguments, pros and cons of a different of different views, and then we'll argue a certain view. It'll be very well uh, footnoted and have a healthy bibliography. But your average Zondervan book is not going to have a lot of footnotes. It's not going to take you through all these different kind of arguments because it's more, I would say the average Zondervan book is going to be more uh, mainstream. Here's the way it is, right? So look, look at this. Uh, Michael just posted in the chat room. He did a search on Amazon for study Bible. 2,430 hits. Wow. Okay. Some of those could be the same, different editions of the sure. same. Sure. Now, when we get when, when we continue to talk about the biblical industrial complex, you do have these rogue agents. I don't know what we would uh, liken these people to. Oh, your Snowdens, right? Like your Edward Snowden or your Julia Julian Assange or whatever. And uh, these guys are the ones who are really messing up the 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 industrial complex because what are they doing? They're offering stuff for free, like Daniel Wallace and the Center for the Study of New Testament Manuscripts. What Daniel Wallace is doing is he's going out, he's finding these manuscripts, and he's he's giving them he's photo he's making very high resolution photos. He's putting them up online, right, for free. 
Any scholar who can read the Greek can now go and, and see it for free. They don't have to buy the published book from Zondervan anymore or whatever. It's free. And, of course, when we look at— Or some uh, of those European ones that we see— um, but look uh, at the stark contrast. Look at the stark contrast. SBL, they're super expensive. Oh yeah, five hundred bucks. Yeah, uh, look at the stark contrast between between uh, the mainstream industrial complex, the biblical industrial complex, and the the rogue agents like <laughs> like Wallace, uh, established in two thousand eleven. And what is his uh, annual revenue? Thirty four thousand seven hundred and forty seven dollars. He does it all off of donations now. I think this number's off. I think he's making more than that because I know that he has, it says employees one. I know that he has a staff. But the point is, is that we do see these things. So, okay, so what's the whole point? And, and this is, this is uh, coming down to what you were talking about. And, and we can talk about this now is that, you know, there was uh, about three years ago, I think it was, my father went around uh, to a couple of the main publishers, uh, the people who run the main publishers at the SBL. And he asked this question. Are, is your publishing company responsible for the content of what you're publishing? Now, a, a publishing company, and we're not really a publishing company. We do publish stuff, though. But a publishing company like Tor Resource is going to say, yes, we're responsible for that, which is why we're extremely picky. We have, we have a focused kind of mission, really. I mean, we're, we're about a very specific message and all the material we produce whether it's video or in print or whatever we stand by it right is 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 to get the yeah it's to right yeah we're not going to we're not going to publish anything that we're saying well sorry you know sorry you interpreted it wrong but you you know we're just selling it to you now i'm not going to tell you i'm I'm not going to tell you that's why we can't that's why if someone comes to us says hey will you publish my book the answer's no. On, on some kind of thing. Or, and I know that I've talked to your father about this, Caleb. I've talked to Tim about this. It's like someone saying, hey, can I sell your book? I'd like to publish your book. But they also publish stuff that's, that is totally contrary. And it's like, he's like, no. He's like, no, I can't. I, no, I'm not going to let you publish my book. So, right? so, so we do care. We, are, we, we want our words and our, our message to be in alignment with what we'll where with where we stand. Okay, but but most publishing companies don't believe that. So well, because they're businesses. The answer they that my da- bottom line. Okay, but the answer that my dad got was no. We're not responsible for the content that we that we produce. That's up to our authors. My dad said, okay, if if your company produced a, this was a very specific conversation with one of the publishers. He said, if if your company produces a book on how to make bombs, and somebody takes that book. And you go step by step to make a bomb that looks exactly like the one that's in your book. And then they go blow up, you know, some some religious right. center. Are you responsible for that? And, and the answer was yes, because it has to do with physical harm. But we're not physically harming anyone. And my opinion is, is that I don't, I, I mean, I think... I understand that it's a business and I understand that publishers just need to make money. I get that. At the same time, I think that we as the consumers need to understand that it is a biblical industrial complex, that it is to make money and that we have to wade through what could be a horrible book by a great publisher or vice versa. Right? We need them. We, we should be thankful that we live in an economic situation where we can have competing publishing companies that can 
you know, try to survive because it puts the consumer in a, in a strong position. We can go and you know, you know what, we're going to buy the, the Zondervan, uh, published mounts, Greek grammar. Cause it's a, it's a great first year grammar. Dynamite. Yeah. Six or seven years in a row. Now we've used that and it's, it, it's, it's an excellent product. So yay Zondervan for, for supporting Dr. Mounts and getting his program out there. You know, I'm thankful for that. But does that mean now that all of a sudden I should, uh, Pick up Bart Ehrman's Bart, Bart Ehrman's book, you know. Well, I do, Zondervan's not going to publish Bart Ehrman, uh, but uh, Ehrman, but, yeah, yeah, but, but but we need, we do need these publishers. And here's the other side of it: is that we can't live without them, <laughs> right? I mean, in other words, even now, even if we take the publisher away, we say, okay, well, I can, I have the internet and I can read Greek. And, and so I can go right to Dr. Wallace's website and I can start reading. Well, great. Well, now you're, but you're still using internet and you're using other technology that is still, we would say, well, that's just another facet to but, this, but this there's industrial a, complex. There's a bigger point to this. And the bigger, the bigger point is, is that in the military industrial complex, and we're going to go back to this because this is the model, right? In the military industrial complex, what do you do? You have boot camp. The soldiers have boot camp. They learn how to. They're not even allowed to hold. You a can't weapon hold. Yeah, they, until <laughs> you, you sh they learn how to strip their 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 weapon. They learn how to fire their missiles. They know all the safety precautions. Right. They learn how to fight. All these kind of and things. They drill. They drill. 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 Yeah. And so, hang on, just a second. Let me move your camera real quick. Oops, wrong one. Um. And so the question that I have is. I, I, not the question. The point that I'm trying to make here is this. I think that it's important to know. I, I think that anybody can go to a firing range and pick up a gun and, and, and uh, attempt to, to fire a weapon and become very good at it, right? They can learn survival skills and learn how to uh, learn how to go out into the woods and, and survive, right? And these are things that every believer in the within the within the world should be doing the same thing. Learn, you know, teach yourself how to how to read the Bible. Teach yourself how to study. Teach yourself how to do these things. There's no problem with that. However, if if we're going to be the soldiers, if we're in, and when I say, I mean, everybody should be a soldier for God, right? But if we're going to be the teachers, the leaders, the people who are out there leading Bible studies and, and these kind of things, it takes education. It takes boot camp. You don't just go pick up a gun and say, I'm in the army now and run around trying to, to you know, to right. use a weapon. Here's another one. It's like, well, I'm, I have an anointing and an I've been appointed and anointed. So now I'm going to tell other people they need to sit and listen to me and tithe their money to me. But I'm not, but I myself am self-taught. I'm not under, <laughs> I, I'm saying, no, you know, I, I, and how dare you question, you know, who I've learned from? No. If it, to be part, if you're going to step into that realm of being a teacher, uh, the stakes go way up, as it says in James, and we need to know we need to be uh, uh, fully on board with learning from other people who've gone before us, and to say, yeah, yeah, I, I've had teachers. Here they are. Here's what I learned from each one of them. And if I call those teachers saying, yeah, how, how about Rob? Would you tell me about what it was like to have Rob as a student? You know, I, I should be ready to just to say, oh, well, you know, yeah, that Rob, he's he, he never finished his assignments and he's a flake, you know, and he never showed up for class or whatever. Or, yeah, he couldn't, 
you know. So, or, oh, he, he did a great job, you know, and here he finished his degree or here's a certificate, you know. This is what we're, we're not trying to impose an elitist thing where you just judge people if they don't know Hebrew or if they've never studied history. That's not the point. On the, but, but we can't ignore that those things are there and real. The Bible's in Hebrew. The Bible's in, in Greek. That's the, that's the confrontation, right? Is that we're all sitting there and this is the text in front of us. And we're either looking at that text and expounding upon it intelligently with other, to other people and able to talk about it and defend our translations, or we're looking at someone's work who did sit there and do the translation work, and now we're talking about this, this as a secondary source, as a secondhand reading, which is what a translation is. So, and, and there's I, no shame in that either. We just need to know the limits uh, of each situation, and we need to think soberly of ourselves and not think more highly than we ought of ourselves. I think that another analogy is like this, and this is, I mean, within the Hebrew roots and the Messianic movement, we see a lot of uh, self-made teachers, right? A lot of people coming up oh, saying, boy, it seems like it, yeah. yeah. And, it, and, and they think, well, I've been anointed, I, you know, I, I can teach. And internet culture has to do with this, that you could, there's, where do you get discernment? If you just read, if you just go through internet and look at all these YouTube teachers, man, you know? So, but, the, but here's maybe a, another analogy. Those teachers are like, you know, somebody who goes to seminary or somebody who gets some, some good biblical training or sits under somebody for a long time and learns, uh, you know, uh, they're, they're, like, they're like the real jujitsu artist, right? They, artist, I don't know, a fighter. They, you know, they know how to use jujitsu. And, yeah. and then the, the self-made internet scholars uh, are like Rex Kwon Do. <laughs> yes. Thank you. You know what I mean? He's got his yeah. he's got his parachute pants. He's he's teaching these courses. Has no clue what he's doing, and he thinks that he's don't even think about it. <laughs> what does he say? Bow to your sensei, right? <laughs> I, I, he thinks he's got it all figured out. And if he meets the if he meets the jujitsu uh, champion on the street, guess what? It, it's not going to go well for him. And this right. is the same thing that we see going on. Even within... Daniel's son needed a Mister Miyagi. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm pulling an old karate kid here. So the the point is, is that I I and I feel for the people who who love the Lord and they want to teach others. That's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But to really lead people, I think there needs to be some some education in at least at least a little. And I'm not saying you have to go to you know three years of seminary or anything like that. But there needs to be some good education. Uh, it's totally at some the point. karate kid. I mean, the karate kid. He was he got beat up. This is totally my story. I'm like Ralph Macchio. I'm like Daniel LaRusso, right? I get beat up theologically by both, and I'm like, man, I just don't know what to do. So I go to a book, and I start trying to learn, and yeah. then I realize that that doesn't really help me. I, get, I only get so far, and then I kind of get bitter and resentful, right? And then all of a sudden, boom, I meet this guy who's a gardener, and he's like, well, you need to, uh, you need to wash my car, and, and this is how you wash it, or you need to sand the deck or you need to paint the house and i get oh what are you why are you having me it's mundane this? this is stupid this is exactly. mundane when all the time it, yeah. it was the lord who's guiding me to say now look you've got these skills now you can go to this place that is manufacturing the religious thing and you can actually wade through your it your own yeah stand your stand your own yeah and not back down and and not and not uh, and so that's it's like a little funny little way of using that movie too but um 
That movie can be used for all sorts of life applications. <laughs> it's one of the greatest trilogies ever made. I've, I don't remember the other ones, but <sighs> I just... <laughs> I don't even know if we can talk right now. I I, I, I don't know, man. <laughs> this is the old one. I know that they I, they recently did a new one, and I don't know about that one. But this is back from the '80s. But Ralph Macchio, um, man, the karate the kid. The idea is 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 there. I mean, the idea of, of we need teachers. We need good teachers. The Bible says that there are things as teachers, and we need to say, okay, well, what makes someone a good teacher? Um, and what is teachers need to know their own limits and not try to to make their students believe more highly about their own ability, right? Uh, and so, that takes a teacher who can say, I don't know. I, I don't, that's not my specialty, or I don't have an answer to that, or here's some possible ways to approach that question. Um, let's bring it back to the YouTube question. The YouTube question was, I need advice. I'm trying to learn the Bible. I'm not a new believer. Uh, whatever I ask questions, they think I'm stupid. What advice would you give somebody like myself? Here's the advice that I'd give to someone like yourself. If possible, if possible, try to take a couple of classes. You could do that maybe at a local church, um, you know, if you trust the church. Or maybe the church isn't the right place. Maybe you need to go to somewhere that actually fits your theology, to a resource institute, something like that. But ultimately, what it comes down to is finding some good commentaries that you trust and that they can be recommended to you. Maybe Rob and I should put together a, a list of, of commentaries I would say and, right and tools. That, I had someone ask me the other day about a study Bible. I said, you know what? Use the Net Bible as an online free study Bible because it's got free notes and they're good notes. Yeah, but the translation uh, but, is but, eh. Right, but I would say get Tim Hague's commentary on Matthew, on Romans, on Hebrews, and First John will be coming out, First uh, Peter, and and. Use those as as your in-depth study Bibles. Um, but on the flip side, just generally, the first thing you can do, and it's totally free, it's it's more free than than the free net Bible because you don't even need a computer. And that is reconcile in your own heart. I'm in this for the long run. I'm in this for the long haul. I'm not looking through a drive-through solution. I'm not looking for a shortcut. Yep. I trust. God, I trust that you are my heavenly father, that you have my best interests in mind and that you will teach me as I seek you uh, and be resolved that, that that's where you start. I'm in this. I'm not budging. And I'm and then you uh, recognize the value of patience, that in that being in for the long haul, you're also saying, OK, this is I'm going to it's like I'm going to climb Mount Everest. Well, I'm not just going to start hiking from the bottom and get to the top. There's all sorts of factors. You know, you're setting out to, to know the Bible. The Bible is the most important book in all of human history. And it's full of different languages and historical contexts and cultures and spans uh, thousands of years, you know. So it's, it's not an easy thing. That's why I say, you know, it's not a drive-through thing. This is a lifetime well, uh, journey. And then learn to enjoy the learning process. As, as you know that you're in it for the long run and that you're going to have growing in patience and that you're going to be growing in discernment by wrestling through different ideas. If you're on board for all that, then then count it all joy as you pursue that lifestyle. Because okay. that's really what it is. It's a lifestyle. Uh, hang on just a sec, though. And uh, Gary makes a wonderful point in the in the chat room. He says, what about finding or praying for someone to disciple you? 
He says, uh, I understand what you were saying about study material. And he's right. Just think life-to-life discipleship is needed. No Lone Rangers. And then uh, Michael says, even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. This is true. So the point is, is that, you know, studying with someone, being pushed by somebody else. I Honestly, I would not, I certainly would not be, and I don't consider myself a teacher. I'm, uh, you know, I'm what? I'm a lowly podcaster who tries to support you know, the ideas coming essentially from my teacher, Rob. And I would, I certainly would not be even close to the place that I'm at now if it wasn't for my father, for Rob, for, you know, there's other names that I could name in my life that I've tried to put myself under their teaching. And, and Caleb, we all have that. We all should have that. Who's yeah. on my, who, who are my people, right? And, and it doesn't mean that you have to agree with everything that are on your people, but the people who've influenced you and, the Lone Ranger, that's that gets to that discipleship. You know, we, it's not like one person, you know, I guess that's where the karate kid thing will fall short is it's not just one person that God puts in your life and then they shape everything. No, he'll, but he'll give you people that will help you develop a different facets of your character so that you're, you're a, a full healthy plant bearing, bearing, bearing good fruit. Um, and we all should have the people, you know, it's a blessed people are a blessing, you know, good teachers, Good uh, people who disciple us and mentor us, those people are such blessings in our life, and they give our heart joy. You know, just when we're we see that the Lord gave us this relationship, He gave us this person to to guide us for because He knew it was for our own good. Um, that that's uh, really good uh, good wisdom there. All right. It's a great place to leave off. Uh, thank you so much to everybody in the chat room for the lively conversation. Uh, send us an email. Seahag at TorahResource.com. It's Seahag at TorahResource.com. We've really gotten some great emails in the past couple of weeks. Keep them coming. We, we, They help build the show and what we're doing uh, for sure. You can also give us a call on our comment line. Do that by calling 253-465-3205. It is a, uh, it's a recorded message. You won't talk to us. Um, Yeah, so call and tell us what you think, whether you like it or not. And uh, don't forget to visit TorahResource.com and Chava Messianic Radio. A big shout out to Judah and your family. Congratulations once again. And uh, boy, we hope to see you back here next week when we discuss something that we hope will glorify our great God, the Messiah.